Rogers scrambles he's left, winds up, runs the ball. He's got time at the 10 to the 5, yes. to the end zone. Touchdown, and a dagger. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning, fading shot. Up, gone for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Brewer fans, welcome to the Brewers Trilogy Podcast presented by the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy, the podcast for not only them diehard baseball fans, but also for those fans who enjoy cheering for a team that revolves around beer. My name is Tyler, aka T Plus, your host for the show. I'm a contributor for reviewing the brew for Fan Sighted, and one of the founders of the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy Podcast, where you can find all the work we do on Twitter at trilogy underscore pod. Not joining me, as always, is good buddy Trevor, a.k.a. Sunshine Bender. You can find him on Twitter at Bender underscore Trevor. He is the host of our Packers Trilogy podcast, and he is suffering from a case of the weekends, had a little bit too much fun on his Saturday night from what I've gathered, and is currently in ultra recovery mode, so we wish him the best of luck in that regard, and yeah, I do sincerely mean that. He's He plays on my volleyball team tomorrow night, so I need him to show up and, and be functional. So wishing you a speedy recovery there, Trevor. So I will be recapping this Pirates series by myself. So we'll jump right into it. As you know, it was very disappointing as the Brewers got swept by the worst team in baseball. Just utterly disappointing. There's no other way to put it. And we'll just quickly go through each game. Game one was at 7-2 lost. The Brewers actually did score first in the second inning. Big shocker. That was by that Ben Gamble solo home run. The Pirates, however, immediately answered getting home run off of Adrian Hauser in the bottom of that inning. That was a two-seamer to Reynolds that Hauser left right down the middle of the plate. And then from there, it was really just two big innings that killed the Brewers. They gave up three runs in the fourth inning and then three runs in the eighth inning. That eighth inning was off of Alex Claudio, and that made it for that ugly final score. Game two was very ugly as well, 12-5 lost. That was the game in which all five Brewer pitchers got tagged with earned runs. So if you run through that pitching list there, that's Lindblom getting tagged for three, Suter for two, Yardley for one, Perdomo for three, and Rasmussen for two. Yikes. The only bright spot for the Brewers was there was a three-run homer from Kesson Hira that came late in the game and, of course, was far too late to really claw your way back into the game, unfortunately. But it was good to see Hira continue his tear against Pirates pitching. And then game three, Brewers are so close to winning, and they end up losing 5-4. to four. This was the Corbin Burns start. He gave up runs in each of the first two innings before settling in. From the offensive standpoint, Justin Smoke provided three RBIs. He had a double and then a two-run homer to opposite field, (laughs) where nobody is because they always shift him to pull really hard. (laughs) Two-run opposite field to homer for him. And then the Brewers at that point had the lead, and Council brought in Freddie Peralta after Corbin Burns and stuck with him for the sixth and the seventh inning. Despite uh, giving up a leadoff double in the seventh, Peralta was able to work around that, hold the Pirates scoreless. Then he put in David Phelps in the eighth inning, and he gave up a two-run homer to Polanco. Of course, the one Pirates guy who just has been struggling all year finds his groove against the Brewers. So, 
that figures. We talked about a sweep on the preview, and we just apparently got it reversed. So I'm going to put the blame on Trevor in that one. He was one who was high on the Brewers sweeping the series, and it, just, it got flipped. So let's at least find a couple positives to take away from this. I mean, if you take a look at Adrian Hauser's start, he pitched really well. He went seven innings and he was throwing pretty consistently low in the zone and generating contact. And we've talked about with Hauser before, like to be good, he doesn't necessarily have to be a very high strikeout pitcher, despite throwing, you know, mid nineties to upper nineties at times. I thought he did a really good job of working that two seamer in a start. I think where he got in trouble was he used it against lefties and tried to throw inside and would just cut too much over the heart of the plate and he got burned that way. But his sinker was working, and that really that fourth inning when he was in is just a lot of bad luck for him. Like he was generating ground balls, it was just finding a hole or just barely getting through. And when you can scatter nine hits like Hauser gave up, and then still only give up four and runs through seven innings, I'm gonna take that. Like last year, Agent Hauser would not have been able to do that. He probably would have fell apart a lot sooner, which. Really, another kind of positive is the same with Corbin Burns' start. I mean, he gave up two runs in each of the first two innings and then settled down after that. We talked on our last podcast about the maturity level of Corbin Burns and how he's not, you know, giving up a whole bunch of crooked numbers, and he showed that again in this start. And I think it's really starting to solidify his case that he should be in the rotation going forward. He's, I mean, he's definitely no Brandon Woodruff when Brandon Woodruff is on, but the potential's there. He could get there, and he's not completely killing the Brewers in his starts. He's given us at least five innings the last two starts and keeping us in ball games, which is all you want out of a Brewers starter. I mean, that's really all we've known to expect under council. So flipping over to the offensive side, you know, on Twitter, there's always a lot of complaining about the lineups. Like we saw in game two on Saturday, Mark Mathias came up. Yep, he's back now. And had a good game, had two hits. One of them was a double. And then where is he Sunday? On the bench. (laughs) Like, yeah, I I get it. That's really frustrating. And I'm kind of frustrated in the same sense with Jed Jerko. I mean, he had a booming home run. Granted, you know, he's going to draw starts against lefties. But I thought he's getting to the point now where he has to start getting more playing time against righties. You can put him at first base if you need to. I've talked about this numerous times. He's shown the ability to be clutch a couple times this series, or this, excuse me, this season so far. So why not give it a try? I mean, the whole Justin Smoke thing is. I mean, sure he had a couple hits in this finale on Sunday, but I don't really know. It's he's just not having. Nothing's jumping out saying he's gonna have a bounce back season as we're already this far in. Like, I think it's time to move on. I feel like it's very unlikely that the Brewers would say, hey, Justin Smoke, we're going to DFA you, seeing how we promised him $5 million in that contract he signed over the offseason. So he's going to stick around. Like, I mean, it's sure, he's good good to have in the lineup every now and then, but why not roll the dice with Jed Jerko over there a little bit? He's got great reaction times. He's made, made some great plays over at third base. I feel like he can handle first base as well in terms of, you know, not allowing anything down the line. And, God, there's just so many times that Justin Smoke's glove frustrates me. I think it was in Sunday's game. Someone was trying to bunt on Freddie Peralta, and they threw... He kind of threw a little bit wild over to first base, whether or not the runner was, you know, in 
in the playing field or not is is debatable and well it's not reviewable so but Justin Smoke just it seems like countless times he just can't even get a glove on the ball and there are so many plays that I've he's just, like I feel like a major league first baseman should make and he doesn't so I I am overall very frustrated with Justin Smoke and I understand he's most likely going to stay on this team but I do think we should work in Jed Jerko over there as well the Brewers did make a few roster moves. They optioned Angel Perdomo down after he got tagged on Saturday for three earned runs, and command still not working for him. So I think this was a really good call. I mean, it was nice to see him make his MLB debut and all that good jazz, but he's he's just not ready. The, the stuff's there, as we talked about, but he needs some more work. He needs some fine-tuning. He needs to polish his game off a little bit more, and we're a better place to do that than Appleton, so... That's where Perdomo went, and then Brock Holt was DFA'd, so designated for assignment, so any team can pick him up now, and really, I mean, it's, n- it's not surprising given his performance in 30 at-bats this year. He's had a batting average of 100 for the Brewers. You know, in a normal season, he's not going to get DFA'd after just, you know, playing in 16 games, but... This isn't a normal season, and given his contract situation, he signed for very little, had that that option for next year, that club option, and Brewers just didn't see a spot for him going forward. I mean, we kind of signed a lot of super utility guys last offseason, so it's just a matter of time before one of them had to go, and Brock Colt, unfortunately for him, had the cheapest contract and was playing the worst, so... That's most likely some contributing factors for why he went down, and they brought up Jace Peterson instead, and uh, let me tell you, Peterson is definitely not going to be the answer. I mean, he plays a lot of different positions, but the dude's 30 years old. He's played for like five different ball clubs now, and I get why they brought him up because he's versatile, but after, you know, do you really see Peterson being a part of this team in years to come? No, I don't really even see him being part of this team after the 2020 season. So it's going to be interesting to see what the Brewers do, especially in the next upcoming week with the trade deadline right around the corner. I briefly mentioned it on the last podcast, but we're now seven days away from the trade deadline. And after a sweep against the Pirates, you kind of have to be wondering yourself, what are the Brewers right now? Are they buyers or are they sellers? So given the way they perform this weekend, you'll be like, oh my God, this team's trash. Just just sell, sell, sell. But the, we're still in it. That's the crazy part. That was just a very bad three games. So I'm not saying the Brewers are going to be sellers. They're, there's no, no way. They're definitely going to buy, but I don't think it's going to be like previous seasons. I mean, usually the Brewers would acquire, you know, a pitcher, either a starter or a reliever, and then they wouldn't be able to resign him because yeah, they always find themselves with the Brewers and they're on the last year of their deal. And kind of looking out there in the MLB, there's a couple guys who fit that mold. In particular, if you look at the Kansas City Royals, Trevor Rosenthal's one one my one person that comes to mind. He's just only under club control through this year yet, pitching really well. He's earning $750,000 this year, so... There's going to be a lot of clubs, I think, going for him. But, I mean, do we need a lot of bullpen depth? I don't know. I mean, we've we've got our lockdown guys 
secured. I mean, David Phelps has struggled a little bit now over his last two starts. But even if you look into like guys who are working in Appleton and guys are coming up, like you have to hope Drew Rasmussen will mold a role for himself soon here. I mean, granted, he did struggle over this over his last game where he appeared in, but you got Justin Topa down there, Antone Kelly, Aaron Ashby. I mean, those are some exciting guys, and given the way the bullpen has played so far this year, I just don't really see a need for any more bullpen pitchers. So then you flip over to the starters. Well, you're going to want guys under club control. You're not going to go out. It's not going to be like a CC Sabathia type deal. You're going to acquire someone who you can just pitch every three days and will us into this postseason and whatever. David Stern's going to look for someone who's under club control. And I don't know who's all out there that really fits that mold. There's, you know, if you take a look at some teams like the Tigers, you have Spencer Turnbull. He kind of catches my eye. The Detroit Tigers are very loaded in pitching prospects, and Turnbull's under club control for a few more years here yet, and having a really solid season. And even if you go back to 2019, he started 30 games through 140 innings, 399 ERA. And then through this year, 24 innings in his five starts, 3.52 ERA. So there could be some, some talks there with him. But, I mean, do the Brewers need a starter? You think going forward, Brandon Woodruff, Adrian Hauser, Corbin Burns, you got those guys under club control for a long time. And then you also have Josh Lindblom, who's under control for two more seasons after this season. If you have Josh Lindblom as your fifth starter, I think that's a good spot for him. I don't see Brett Anderson making it much after this season, but we also have so many damn starters on this team. Suter could start. Freddie Peralta could start. I mean, you guys know the name. So what's the need for acquiring a starter this year? I don't think there really is one. So the obvious answers are you have to go into offense. So offensively, what do the Brewers need? Well, we lost Lorenzo Cain. We have Avi Garcia playing center field. That's not ideal by any standards. Ben Gamble was supposed to get a lot of playing time, which he has. And the way he was playing, we thought this was going to be great but he really hasn't shown anything. And Ryan Braun can't consistently stay in the lineup, so there could be a need for a veteran outfielder. You take a look at who the Brewers have in-house. We still have Keen Broxton down in Appleton. I mean, that's you know not ideal by any means, but he could, for this season, fill that void. I mean, we, we love his defense. I think that would we'd prefer that over Avi Garcia any day. And you, you know, you have to hope that he makes contact. I mean, we know the guy's a 200 hitter, but when he hits the ball, it goes a long ways. Other internal options, I mean, you could bring up Tyrone Taylor or Corey Ray. Do you want to waste an option on them this year and what, the 40 games that are left? I don't know. Do I really see Tyrone Taylor or Corey Ray being huge MLB contributors in their future? Uh, maybe. I mean, Taylor is a good contact guy. He's got really good speed. Corey Ray has good power potential. He's a lefty. It could be there if the Brewers just completely flop in the next 20 games. Maybe it's worth bringing them up. But for the sake of the trade deadline, uh, I think you you might be able to find someone out there who's who's looking to get rid of a veteran outfielder. I mean, I know the Giants just DFA'd Hunter Pence. But eh, the guy's slow. He's kind of old. He's really struggling this year. So we'll, we'll take a pass on him for now. But that is one area of need where I think the Brewers could improve upon. And then you have to go to the corners in the infielder. First base, third base. Huge holes for the Brewers right now. 
Obviously, with Brock Holt being DFA'd, you have to think Luis Sirius is going to get a lot of opportunities at third base, which is great. And Trevor and I have talked about this. He doesn't fit the mold of you know a typical third baseman in terms of having a big power profile, but he definitely could serve as a leadoff hitter. We've talked about that. He's got great contact skills, great defense skills. I think he'd be very solid over there. It looks like Luis Urias should be someone who at worst is going to be a super utility guy in the MLB, and he's really young yet, so he's got a lot of room to grow. And yeah, I think it'd be great to keep getting him in there, but moving forward to the future, Justin Smoke's going to be gone after this year, which as of right now, I'm going to say Thank, thank the Lord. <laughs> but th- there is going to be a need for some other players there. And, you know, with how this off- next offseason is going to go, it's it's going to be strange. You're going to be evaluating guys off 60-game seasons or how they did in the postseason, yada, yada, yada. So you could look to secure that third baseman or first baseman. I don't want to say of the future, but someone under club control for a few more years. You could look to do that at this year's trade deadline. Of course, there's always Kyle Seeger who could fit that mold from the Mariners, but he's got a big, hefty contract, gets paid $18 million next year, and then if he gets traded, his $15 million option for 2022 becomes a player option. So might not you might only have one solid year of control for him, and while he is playing okay right now, that's a lot of money to fork over for Kyle Seeger, so I'm not totally on board with going over and trading for him. If you're looking for prospects, one guy that really catches my eye is out of the Rangers organization, and that's Shurton Apostol. So he's a third baseman, primarily, has played very minimal first base, but he's working on a transition over there. I'll tell you why. I mean, the dude is 6'4", 235 pounds, has a 55-grade throwing arm, or 65 grade throwing arm, and then 55 power potential. And he, he used to pitch, he was throwing in the 90s as a six, 16 year old. So the dude has an absolute cannon. And in his first year in A ball, hit 19 home runs between the two levels. The guy's going to continue to grow. He's 21 years old right now and doesn't really have a path in the Rangers organization. He's currently their 10th ranked prospect. But they also have a third baseman up there in Josh Young, who is their number one ranked prospect. So Rangers could be looking to get rid of him. Sure, the Brewers might have to give up a little bit to to acquire him. But moving forward and going long term and getting someone under years and years of club control, it kind of makes sense. If you're looking for more so for like, okay, who could the Brewers acquire this year and just, you know, see how it goes? Well, Daniel Volkenbach was recently DFA'd, another Mariner player. He mashed 30 home runs last year. Of course, is like a 200 hitter, but he also drew 90-some walks in 2019. The Brewers look to go that route, maybe, for one year. They, they could. I wouldn't doubt it. But then it's like, okay, you might as well have just kept Logan Morrison at that point. And I, I don't know. I, I don't foresee the Brewers just acquiring one of these guys to play first base through this year yet. I think it'd be someone who's under club control going forward after the 2020 season. All right, enough about the trade deadline. We have to get to it. Let's get to our series MVP. And series dud. So again, this is coming from the Pirates series where we got swept. So this is very, very difficult to choose from. 
And I already, already touched on both of my guys here. My MVP for the series is going to be Adrian Hauser. Seven innings strong. That's I think that's the second, maybe even third time he's done that this year. Scattered those nine hits, as I mentioned, and was generating lots of contact, getting lots of ground balls, and that's just the type of pitcher he is. I thought he pitched really well, and if it wasn't for Alex Claudio blowing up, the game would have been close, and the Brewers would have had a better opportunity to win that game in the later innings, um, but unfortunately, that's just not how it shook out. If you want me to give you an honorable mention for MVP, I you know, I really don't have one. <laughs> it's that bad. Nobody put together any good performances. Josh Lindblom only went four innings in his start, so starter-wise, no. Corbin Burns looked, he looked good, went five and a third, struck out seven, but I, you know, I took him as my MVP last week, so I can't do that again, and offensively, nobody really stood out. So we'll just switch right over into the duds, and I'm going to have to give it to David Phelps for this week, just because he blew our best chance at winning a game against the worst team in baseball. (sighs) Gave up that two-run homer in the eighth inning on Sunday, so... It's two performances in a row now where David Phelps has struggled. This Pirate Series one, and then he was on the mound against the Twins in extra innings. Of course, you know, it's hard when you start with a runner on second base. He didn't get tagged with an earn run there, but he's now lost his last two appearances where he's appeared in the Brewers uniform. So that is my reasoning for why he is going to be my series dud. Let's move on past the Pirates. I'm sick of talking about them. Let's switch over to our next and upcoming series. That is four games versus the Reds. So we will see Anderson versus Bauer. Great. (laughs) Can we never not pitch against Trevor Bauer? Like, I just felt like pointing that out. Game two will be Woodruff versus Castillo, Hauser versus Gray, and then Lindblom versus somebody. Not quite sure who it's going to be. Maybe Wade Miley. I think that's who would be slated to start that game. But the Reds have not officially announced it yet. So, man, looking forward to the Reds. The Reds are playing okay baseball, similar to how the Brewers are, just a couple games under 500. Ingenio Suarez is starting to heat up at the plate, which is not good for us. He's starting to mash the ball. Nick Cassianos has been on a crazy power tear all year this year, and Mike Moustakis, I'm not quite sure if he's back in the lineup for the Reds or not yet. I know he was on the injured list. He started the year off um, with an illness and hasn't really played a lot in that regard. Man, we are going to be seeing a gauntlet of starting pitching this series. So, you know, if we take a look at what happened the last time the Brewers and Reds played, the big focus was all the strikeouts, right? How many times? I think we struck out like 48% of our at-bats last time we played the Reds, if I went back and listened to that recap podcast. So can the Brewers actually put the bat on the ball? That's going to be one thing to monitor. I mean, you take a look at, you know, we just played the Pirates, who are as worse worse offensively as the Brewers are, and it just felt like they slapped the ball wherever they wanted to. Brewers are up there still whiffing all the time, so I'm waiting for the Brewer bats to awaken. It ha- the Pirates did it against us, so why can't ours awaken against the Reds? I know we got some good pitchers, but hopefully they leave some hanging breaking balls for us to hit, and people are people's timing is on, and we're able to hit the fastball. <coughs> Hero. <coughs> Not to say any names. <laughs> oh, but yeah, that's what is up Next, we have the Cincinnati Reds for four. We are finally back at home. The Brewers are done with their road stand, whatever that means. I don't know. 
And then, of course, after the Reds, we have the Pirates again. So seven more games against the NL Central. We talked about it on last week's podcast, but this is not how I envision this 11-game stretch going. So the Brewers need to do some work here to keep themselves in the mix, keep themselves in contention for the second spot in the division to make it into the postseason. So with losing three straight against the Pirates, there's a sense of urgency with this series against the Reds. And, you know, the Brewers, I think you have to take at least three here. That's, that's the good goal for the Brewers coming forward. But we'll be back with you guys next time after the Red Series. So that podcast will be coming out on Friday morning for this is a four-game series. So make sure you are checking that out before you head out for next weekend. But until then, I will talk to you later, Brewer fans.